Well, good morning. It's so good to see your smiling faces. My goodness. Well, as it, as it was, uh, so I was asking God where to go this week. I I feel like He gave me a word for for all of us. I promise you this: it's it's not nearly as deep as it is applicable. That so many times we overlook some things. With so many times we we make the word of God so complicated that sometimes it's to no effect in our lives. And I, I'd like to take us to a practical place today where we begin to look at the word of God, not just for what it can be, but for what it is. That, that it's, it's not just something for tomorrow. It's not just something to give us hope for tomorrow. But that hope resides in the doing of the word. James says that if, if we're but hearers and not doers of the word, we're like people that look into a mirror and walk away and forget what we look like. It'd be like me looking into the mirror and walking away and telling somebody that I have, that I have gray hair and a mustache. Only Pastor Charlie can pull that off that well. But listen, in, in looking at all of this, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you were here back in October, I preached a message called the update mandate. And we talked about you know, the, the idea that we're made up of three parts, right? What is it? That, that we are a spirit, that we possess a soul, and that we live in a body, right? Three parts. Everybody with me? So if you weren't here in October, have no fear. I'm giving you the crash course right now, all right? But then beyond that, when we look at that soul aspect of things, what we're, what we're looking now is that that part has three parts as well. What are they? It's the mind the will and the emotions of the man, right? Or woman, all right? And so as we're looking at that today, what, what I'd like to do is boil it down to this. I don't think we spend nearly enough time talking about or ministering to the soul of the man and because we've been taught for so many years that we're supposed to push it or shove it down. That because you feel that way, you're in sin. Well, it's not necessarily a sin if you take every thought captive under the purpose and the plans of God Almighty. Right, And so, so many times we've let our souls become barren. We've let our souls become dry because we think we're supposed to dumb down the emotions we feel or the things that we go through in order to be truly spiritual. But today, what I'd like to take a look at is what we call mind matters. Now, depending on the emphasis that you want to put on the right syllable here, it can mean a lot of different things. Right? Because we could say these are mind matters. These speak of things, right? Precepts, thoughts. But then I could say to you this as well mind matters. I could also tell you mind matters, right? Because somewhere within all of this, if we don't mind what matters, we're in trouble. And your mind matters more than you may think it does because it's the very filter from which you process every piece of information that comes towards you. If your soul is broken, if your mind is in set up in mindsets that do not allow you to filter information by the spirit of God, you will live a life of defeat and a lack of purpose. If you don't minister to your soul, if you don't cultivate your soul by the Spirit of God, you will live a life of frustration, chaos, and defeat. I'm sure you didn't need to come here and sit down in that seat for me to tell you that. I'm sure we've all felt it at some point, right? But today what I'd like to do is dig into this a little bit and talk about how not only we can captivate thoughts, but we can manage mindsets in a way that help us to truly be a part of what God called us to do. You know, it, the Bible talks about the very fact that our heart is the seat of our souls. Okay? And so I think it's really cool when Jesus was talking, he, he said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you know that he said that on two different occasions, not just one? He said it the first time in Matthew, the book of Matthew, when he was taking the Pharisees and the scribes to task, that was that whole brood of vipers thing, 
right? But then later on in the book of Luke chapter 6, he actually says it again in a much more intimate setting with his disciples, and he begins to describe exactly how the abundance of the heart makes a difference in not only the speech, but what it is, what fruit that they bear in their lives. Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 6, verse 43, I'm in the New King James. It says this, a good tree, this is Jesus talking, does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." He's, he's given clues here. He's talking about this treasure. You know, every time we open the word of God, we have an opportunity to unearth treasure that will change our lives. And so as we look at this, what he's saying is there is something planted within you that's wanting to bear fruit. If you don't get the word, if you do not get the treasure of the word down on the inside of you, what comes out of your mouth will negate the promises of God in your life. And so how do we deal with this? How do we go beyond this to a place where we can really understand exactly what's happening? Because see, out of the soul, that mind, will, and emotions, the mind is preeminent to the other two. See, whatever information comes in that you begin to process through whatever filter by which you process it will eventually affect the way you make decisions, your will, and the way that you outwardly manifest what's happening inside of you, your emotions, right? It all comes from the way you think. And the way we think is paramount to being able to speak what it is that has the power of God all over it. And that's his word. So it doesn't matter where you find yourself to be emotionally fragile, having a hard time making decisions that keep you on the path to following exactly what God has for you. Ultimately, we can attribute it to the way we think. Our minds are the major pathway by which health, prosperity, and the fulfillment of God come to fruition in our lives. Let me prove that to you, all right? We're going to go to 3 John 2. Not chapter 2, just 2. There's only one chapter in 3 John. You ready for this? This is the New King James Version. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Wow. Now let's go to, as Pastor Bill so aptly put, the Amplified, and let's add a little Greek to it. Are you ready for this? Now, this, this gives us a little more insight into what it says here in the Amplified. It says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically, just as I know your soul prospers spiritually. Man. So does that unpack a few things here? Does that help us get a greater understanding that what happens is, is that the promises of God fulfill themselves in two ways in our lives according to this. One, that we succeed and prosper in all things. That means every area of who we are. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, you name it, it is all circumferenced here by one thing and one thing alone, and that is the prosperity of the way you think, how you make decisions, and the way that you act towards outwardly, towards what's going on inwardly, right? And so as we, as we see this, what do we get to see? Not only do we succeed and prosper in all things, but it actually takes us to the place where it says, and that you would be in good health physically. You know, some of the symptoms that we experience on a physical level tend to manifest themselves because of a spiritual issue. Because our soul is out of whack, our body becomes out of whack, Half of the high blood pressure in the world doesn't come from an issue with our veins and our hearts and everything else. It comes with the fact that we allow stress to overtake us in our thought process so much so that we can't put aside worry. And because of that, the pressure that builds up on our physical body takes us to a place where we can't escape that headache that gnaws in the back of our head. Hello. How many sleepless nights have we spent 
where our mind just continues to roll over itself and over itself and over itself, where the same thoughts, where we'll fall asleep for 10 minutes and out of nowhere, the thought of the same thing springs back up and we're wide awake again. And we stare at the ceiling and go, my God, what am I going to do? Ever been there? And so what we get to understand here is that this all occur, occurs as the soul prospers spiritually. The soul, for the soul to prosper spiritually, it has to come under alignment with your spirit. Okay? And so if the thought life of the individual has aligned with the spirit of God to manage it, ultimately the effect is, is that we're going to prosper in every area of our life, including physically. Right? So if you're experiencing physical symptoms today, if you've come in and said, man, I need a healing, the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do before anything else is to consider your thought life. How are you thinking? What are you thinking? Why are you thinking it? Right? And because of those things, we begin to take inventory of what it is that's there and the power that it's having over our lives. What is the profession or the abundance of our hearts saying to the physical world, right? Okay. So now that we recognize the fact that the mind matters more than we actually realize, we could step into the idea that our minds are the filter through which we receive that information, okay? So we take that information based on a mindset or the filter that we're using and we process that information in our thoughts, then we act on it, right? Our will, decision-making, or our emotions, how we let that out. But see, when the enemy attacks us, his goal is to control our mindset, okay? The washing machine breaking is not the devil, okay? He did not crawl up in that Samsung washing machine and get crazy in there and start throwing stuff around until it broke, okay? He didn't do that. The old adage, the devil made me do it, lie, Okay, your car breaking down did, did not happen because the devil, the devil doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't need it. He doesn't wash his clothes. <laughs> Stinky devil. <laughs> but what does he want? He wants your mind, right? So the washing machine breaks. Here's where the devil goes. He goes, oh, your washing machine broke, did it? And then he leans in. And he gives you one of these. Now what are you going to do? You're not going to be able to pay the rent this month. Because you have to get a new washing machine. Because your kids get dirty so stinking much. That you, if, you, if, you, if you don't wash the clothes. The, the whole house is going to be overrun. And now what are you going to do? You have to get it fixed. Oh my gosh the car broke down on the way to work. And now I'm going to miss a day of work. So now not only could I not afford it beforehand. But now my paycheck's going to be smaller than it was last time. And that means I'm really not going to be able to make the bills. What am I going to do? Oh, you're the, I'm the only one that's ever been there, huh? Okay, so I'll just come over here and talk to the two people that look like they've been through something and, and you guys can just be awesome, all right? So the, the whole point of this is the devil only has one weapon, uno mas. You know what it is? Deception. If he can get you to buy the lie, he can do anything else he wants to do. But you got to buy in first. It's the worst timeshare deal in history. Once you get in, it's almost impossible to get out. Because if he could come and say, oh, you should be afraid of that. Oh, boy, you're in trouble now. Oh, you got a new boss and he's some kind of guy and he's not, he doesn't even like you. Look, he didn't even speak to you on the way past you in the hallway today. You're in trouble now. You're going to lose your job. And that fear just sits there waiting for you to bite. Go ahead, bite it. I dare you, right? It's like Pastor Bill says, prove me in this, right? And, and see, the enemy will twist the word. And so what's he do? He sits there just waiting for the opportunity and you go, Oh, man. And then you come home and go, I'm really scared. I'm going to lose my job. Right? And then what's he do? He starts to work his way deeper and deeper and deeper into that mindset until you convince yourself that you're out of a job. Nothing's changed. <laughs> you got a new boss. Calm down. 
right? And so there's that one moment where you bite on that hook and he runs with it as fast as he can, like the biggest fish you ever got on the line. But how do we deal with this effectively is not only recognizing that, but ultimately understanding what he's trying to do. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. See, all I had to do was say, get a fish on the line and Donnie Bennett shows up. Do you see that? Second Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 4. I'm still in the New King James. It says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That word stronghold that Paul is using there refers to something in the Greek that that equivalates to a false argument in which a person seeks shelter or a safe place to escape the reality of a situation. It's not a fortress in the physical sense of a fortress, but it's literally a place that we build within our mindset that helps us escape the reality of what is actually taking place, right? And so the enemy gives you that thought right away. Oh my gosh, I have this lump in my arm. What are you gonna do with that? Right? I feel something I've never felt before. And, and oh no, right? And then all of a sudden that thing takes off right and if you don't grab it and take it captive right now uh oh right because next thing you're having doctor's appointments and you're getting scans that you never thought you would have scans for and they're poking you and prodding you in ways that you never thought listen I don't like going to the doctor I don't like people touching me that much like like get off me man you know I don't want to go to the doctor and so the last thing I want to do is profess something that's going to put me in front of that guy so he could charge me like a million dollars to tell me you have a virus here's some Tylenol not cool don't like that very much but what do we do instead according to this our idea here is is that we don't allow that deceptive thing that the enemy brings into our life to bombard us with lies and what ifs what if it's this what if it's that what if this happens and then if that happens oh what if that happens right and it it turns it I anybody else like to watch the Andy Griffith show Anybody ever watch that? It's on, it's on Netflix right now, man. I love the Andy Griffith show. But Barney is such a goober. Like, there's a guy named Goober on the show. He, I mean, the two of them are brothers. They should be, right? And it's just like you, you get these guys, and, and, and they do some of the goofiest stuff. But Barney's mind, like, runs away with him instantly. It's like, oh, you know, this is what's going to happen. And so Andy, I watched one the other day where he said Andy needed to go ahead and get married. Right. And so he started telling everybody that his girlfriend wanted them to meet them at Andy's house so that he could look over every eligible girl in town and see which one he liked the most. Andy didn't like it so much. Right. He didn't like it. And he goes, well, Andy, how are you ever going to meet somebody if you don't get out there and start seeing what's going on? So we brought them all to you. See, the devil's not scared to bring every thought he can to you until you pick one. But see, here's what Andy had to say. I know what I'm looking for. And when I see it, I'll take care of it myself. Now get them out of here. I enjoyed that. I think that's so, that's so great. Television used to be so good, you know. But golly, Andy, you need to get it right. You got to find what's coming after you from every angle and say, hold on, stop the chaos. Here's what the truth of the situation is and begin to speak that from your mouth, from God's word. And you watch what begins to take life and what fruit you bear. It's an amazing thing if we allow ourselves into that moment. But let's look at this in the Amplified here for a second now. Let's pull it in. You ready? So this is 10.5, and we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. 
So this says that our weapons specifically are for destroying two major things. What are they? The first one is sophisticated arguments. These are lofty thoughts that entrap the mind. This is what James calls lofty discussion that leads to idleness. So what happens is so many times, see the gospel is so simple, you need a theologian to help you mess it up. I mean, it's true. We were sinners. What's the wages of sin? Death. Where does death lead? Hell. And there's no remission of sin except by the shedding of blood. So God sent Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place, took our place, and now we can be reconciled back to God. That's pretty simple, right? So if that's the simplicity of the gospel, did you, we had a guest speaker in Bible school uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said, he did some research. There are between 40 and 50,000 different denominations in the Christian faith. 40 and 50,000 different denominations. I can't read that many things that we could think that differently about. And we all sit around fussing about that. You know, in Bible school, the big thing was everybody sat at the tables and they they went, so are you pre-trib or post-trib, man? And I said, how about I'm gospel and the advancing of the kingdom? Listen, whether Jesus comes back before or after doesn't matter to me because he's called me to do one thing and one thing alone. That everywhere that I go, that the kingdom is advanced. That he's working through me continuously so that heaven heaven is full and hell is empty. And I'm down for that. And that's all I need to know. And otherwise, I'm going to serve him the best I can and as faithfully as I can every day of my life until he takes me home to see him in glory. The rest of it, sign up for one of the 40,000 and hang out with them. But ultimately, what we need to be doing is be about his business. His business is what? The word of God becoming manifest within the life of every believer and that every non-believer could see it to his glory and that they might be drawn to him in it. I mean, this stuff's not complicated. But because we make it so complicated sometimes, we, we run up against these lofty thoughts. And so it says that we have to pull those things down so that we don't become so idle and sitting around talking back and forth about the what ifs. The next thing it says is every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up at odds with the true knowledge of God. So who God is what he says about you. Anything that sets itself at odds with what God has spoken about you in his word is a thing that God has given us the right to take captive and pull down and destroy. As soon as you think something about yourself, you know, I think Bill Johnson said one time that I can't afford to have a thought in my head that God doesn't think about me. I love that. Because why? Because he's sitting there thinking good thoughts about a future and a hope for you. And the only way that future and hope doesn't come about is if we buy the lies of the enemy. And so as we, as we move on from there, we get to see that first indication is what? Recognizing rogue thoughts and mindsets. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, starting verse 6, I'm in the Amplified. It says, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, every circumstance and situation. Elbow the person next to you. Say, every circumstance and situation. Elbow the person on the other side and say, every circumstance and situation. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God and let's go to verse 7 the peace of God that peace which reassures the heart now you got to hear this like T.D. Jakes is reading it though right because he says and that peace which reassures the heart that peace which transcends all understanding that peace which stands guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus is yours 
right? You got you to read the Bible with a little attitude. If you walk away from, from the Bible and it hasn't changed something, you know it says that, that his presence is the fullness of joy and his presence chases his word. Did you know that? So you can't read his word with any kind of intention and not come out feeling a little different, at least a little happier, right? The word of God should change our countenance. It should make us feel different. So simply reading this, we're seeing, first of all, that any time at first indication that we see anxiety and worry about a circumstance or a situation, it's first indication of rogue thought and mindset, okay? So we see that a lack of peace in any situation will result in one of two things. First of all, he says that peace which stands guard over your heart and your mind. So first we see a troubled heart, okay? Is your heart troubled? Do you feel internal pain, angst, worry? Is there something going on within your heart? The second thing is chaotic thoughts because it says that lack of peace there. So chaotic thoughts with little understanding or reason. You ever feel like your thoughts were just in a whirlwind? You just couldn't grab onto one and ride it. I mean, they're just swirling around you like leaves in the fall, you know? And, and somehow, some way, you're trying to pull those down and figure out what to do with just any one of them would be great, right? You ever been there? That's a great indication, a primary indication that we've stepped into an area of rogue thought or mindset, Okay? Other indicators would include mindsets that are prone to thinking the worst, becoming offended easily, or something that fails the litmus test of God's word if it's contrary to his word, all right? So how do we take every thought captive? I'm so glad you asked. Are you ready? Here we go. 2 Corinthians, let's go back there. Chapter 10, verse 5. We already read this. It says, and we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And here's the key. And we are taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay? So we're called to not only recognize rogue thoughts and mindsets, but to actually take them captive to the obedience and purpose of Christ. That purpose that we take is the likeness and mind of Christ concerning us. Okay? And so we see these things and we look at it and we say, okay, so I have this rogue thought that comes into mind. Right? Pick anyone you want. Which, what's your favorite? <laughs> You know, it's like some of them become so familiar that we're used to it. Like, oh yeah, that one again, come on. You know, it's like a vending machine. What thought today, right? And you push the button. But listen, like when, the, when we see this thing, when it bounces, when we feel anxiousness surrounding it, when my heart doesn't feel quite right, when, I, when, I, when I'm challenged in, in trying to figure out who or what I am, because every thought I'm having is telling me I'm everything that the word says I'm not. I grab that thing as quickly and as fast as I can. And like I'm going to try to choke it out and I'm going to hold on to it because I'm not going to let it pass the filter of my mind into something that I entertain and that I continue to think on, but I stop it right there. Cold, stop, hold on. I don't recognize you. This isn't going to work out. It's like a terrible first date where you figure out what they're really like and you go, you know, I just don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> you know, the enemy puffs this stuff up so big and tries to make it so, uh, you know, I told first there was this story I wasn't really planning on, but uh, when I used to travel around with Vision Ministries, we would do these conferences and crusades for young adults and, and youth and different things. And, and so we would take a team with us of young people and we would train them up and teach them about things and give them ministry experience in, in different settings, right? It was, a, it was an awesome time and we would travel with these kids and, and sometimes they would make me you know, stay in a guest home and I would have to have one of these kids stay with me. And so we went, we were in Houston, Texas. We were staying with this family and they, they put their kids out of their bedroom. So we were sleeping in bunk beds, me and this guy, right? And this, it was a young kid. His name was Casey. Uh, he, he looked kind of like one of those fellas on, on like one of those Hobbit movies, you know, just a little tiny guy, kind of hairy, you know, just, just a, just a quirky kid. Uh, he always had something to say, but he cocked like this, right? 
And uh, so we're, we're there. It's like 2 a.m. We just got done with this big meeting, and, and I laid down on the bed. Oh, I felt so good. I mean, it was not taking long to fall asleep. I'm laying there. So the one thing I forgot about this room was Casey's on the top bunk, and there's a ceiling fan that we always keep on because it's hot in Houston, right? So Casey would forget in the middle of the night, decided he needed to go to the bathroom or something. He'd sit straight up into the ceiling fan, and you'd hear, doop, 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 right? And then <laughs> sometimes it would be a yell. Sometimes you needed to check and make sure that he was still conscious. Uh, and, and so there's Casey. So I, I'm laying in bed. And, 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 you know, and all of a sudden I hear, Jonathan. I'm like, mm-mm, not answering. Not going to do this today. Not going to do this. Because Casey always had a story. Nope, it's too late for this. Jonathan. Nope, still not doing it. Jonathan. And I could feel this face. Like right there. This boy is hanging over this bed like a bat staring at me upside down going, Jonathan! I opened my eyes and went, what? He goes, God spoke to me. God told me something. Oh, did he? Well, thank him and roll over and go to bed. I'm tired. You got to hear this, man. You really got to hear this. Uh, Okay, so I sit up. Get out of the bed. He sits back up, hits his head in the fan. Right, so he comes down. He's a little dazed. I'm like, now I'm going to get a word from a concussed guy. This is going to be awesome, right? So he sits there and goes on to tell me that the Lord told him that the devil is like a little lizard. You woke me up to tell me that the devil looks like a little lizard. I hope there's more. He goes, no, man, hear me out. Hear me out, really, seriously. He's like, you ever watch the National Geographic channel where those lizards, you know, they got that big, like, fan thing around their head, and they come running up to the camera and going, ah, right? And, they're, they're, and they look so, like, mean and nasty or whatever, and then the guy behind the camera, like, claps at him, and that thing shrinks down around his neck, and he looks like he saw a ghost, and he turns around and runs as fast as he can. I said, uh-huh. He goes, that's what the devil's like. He said, because he comes at you and he makes himself look all big and like he's all bad and he's mean. He's going to be able to get you somehow. And then all you have to do is speak the word to him. And he shrinks back and takes off and runs. And I sat there and went, well, my God, what a word. And then I had to repent. (laughs) You know, it's so important never to overlook anyone. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no more mature Holy Spirit in you than is in someone over here. And listen, no matter how you feel about their natural physical maturity or their mental emotional stability, God can speak to you through anybody. If he can use a donkey... Right, And so we, we see these moments where we sometimes would negate this, but isn't that just what he's like? You know? He makes himself seem so big. And right in that moment, what do we do? And he shrinks back. And then what do you do? You grab him by the throat and you don't let go. You don't let him run around in your mind. And so, hey, let me, let me show you how that works. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. And I'm in the NLT. I really like the way that they did this. It says, but this isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like the God, truly righteous and holy. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember... He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, huh, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, I'm about to do something that you may never see me do again, all right? You should circle this day on the calendar. I would like to go back and read a portion of this to you in the message version. And I quote, beginning in 20, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him, but been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's so nice and plain. You know that word there where it says, and throw off your old nature. That doesn't mean... I used to think of this as like, uh, you know, throwing off a blanket. Like if somebody came to the door, if the doorbell rang and you were wearing a blanket on a cool day and you just kind of threw it off to go see who was at the door. That doesn't mean that. This actually means to take hold of and hurl away violently. So it means to literally grab a hold of it and chuck it as far and hard as you can. Right? So I started to think about this like, man, what does that look like where he talks about the fact that it's rotten through and through and we need to get rid of it. It's kind of like going to Walmart in the produce section and, and looking for good fruit and vegetables, you know? Like, what are the signs of, of stuff that's rotten and not so good, you know? You, you squeeze it a little bit and it's, it's way too soft, right? Or you smell it and it don't smell so good. And if you're at Walmart, this happens more times than it doesn't, right? And, and so <laughs> maybe we should erase that from the tape. We don't get a phone call this week. But, <laughs> you know, the, the little furry spots and, and some of that kind of stuff, right? That, that just make you go, ah, uh, could you imagine standing at Walmart going through the produce counter and going, oh, and you start pitching them out there and throwing them out there and you're looking at tomatoes going, hey, and you start throwing them out there and all of a sudden there's like produce landing in the, in the clothing section at Walmart. But that's what God's telling us to do, that every time we find something that's contrary to the will of God, that stinks like something that doesn't look like him or smell like him or his presence, that we take that thing and we cast it as far away from us as we possibly can. Why? So we don't just take captive of it and hold on to it, but we actually grab a hold of that thing, choke it into submission, and then we throw it as far away from us as we can. And then what did he say to do? Replace it. Every once in a while, we go through that same bin and we see something rotten and we pick up whatever one of these are and, and we go eh, that don't look so good so we set it aside in the bin while we're still going through it you ever do that and then somehow some way that one found its way into that little plastic bag that weighs too much and you pay more for the fruit than you're supposed to side note and then and so <laughs> so those are the kind of things that when we when we do that somehow that thing still makes its way home and into the refrigerator and then you open it up a couple days later and go Whoo, what is that and you open the drawer and go, oh, there's death in there. Right? Am I the only one? Maybe I'm the only one. So it, we look at that thing and, and we go, man, it's growing something. You ever go into the onion bin, the potato bin, and you got something like that going on and you go, is that still healthy? It is, by the way. I looked it up. But, uh, <laughs> hey, when you're a single guy for a long time, you, you learn to make things work. And, and so you, you look at that and go, God, but it don't look good. It, it's not working. And, and that's not the, the best fashion for that thing to be in, for me to digest that. And that's going to create rotten things in me if I eat that. And it's going to make me sick. And there are things that it's going to stop me from doing because it's going to take me days to recover from whatever fungus is on that thing. 
Your thoughts are the same way. And how many times do these things creep into our own refrigerators at home when he's telling us to chuck it out of the way? Don't leave it close to you because you'll end up picking it back up in the long run. Man, the word of God's fun. Isn't it fun? And then he tells us to replace it. What's he say to replace it with? He says, if you're a liar, tell the truth. Go figure. If you're a thief, stop stealing. And then he says, he goes a step further and he says, and go do good hard work and earn what you get and then give generously to those in need. Why? Because it's not so much about working hard and having stuff as it is about attacking the thing that caused you to want to steal in the first place. Because stealing thievery comes from what? An insecurity that you won't have enough or that you don't have enough consistent with somebody else's stuff. And so rather than dealing with the insecurity, we feed it with things that we didn't earn or pull in ourselves, right? And so what's he say? Stop stealing, work hard, and then give yourself out of that character, being more concerned with the people around you. And see, if I've learned anything about God is, if he could get it through me, he'll get it to me. You don't lack when you're meeting other people's lack. Why? Because God is going to funnel that. He's going to continue to pour through you when he knows you're not going to be a stopgap that's going to try to keep it for yourself. So how do we accomplish this? How do we find these bad things? How do we we find this stuff? Joshua chapter 1 verse 7 goes on to say, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right nor to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Does that sound familiar? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do, say do, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you then? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious or dismayed. Don't be worried. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the fourth different passage of scripture that we've read here this morning that has had the same outcome for the same actions. God's working on something here. He's trying to get this principle across and it's not just a New Testament thing. He started it in the Old Testament. The scripture tells us to do two very important things. First of all, we're supposed to meditate in God's word day and night. So what do we have to do to meditate? You know, the word meditate means to recite in a low voice repetitively. There's a repetition that comes to being within the presence of God and in his word where the more we say it, the more we stay in it, the more we search it out, what happens? That, that it continues to grow and become a part of who we are and a part of our character, right? So we continue to do that. The Bible tells us that we renew our minds based on what? The word of God. So if we're going to renew our minds based on the word of God, then we go for this word. You have to think of your mind like a renewable energy source, right? Think of it like a cell phone or uh, uh, an electric car, right? The longer you leave it on the charger, what happens? The farther you can go, the more you can accomplish with it right? Have you ever stuck your phone on the charger for like three minutes because you were at like 2% and you didn't want it to shut off, but then you had to hurry up and leave the house again. So when you took it off the charger, it was only at like 11%. What happened? It died pretty quick after that, right? But if we put it on the charger overnight, let it charge while we're sleeping, what happens? We get up, it's at 100% and we get a day's worth of use out of it. Make sense? It's that renewable energy, that renewing of our mind where we're consistently in the word of God that produces these things in our lives. But then the next thing that it talks about here is that we shouldn't let it depart from our mouths. This doesn't mean that we don't speak it. It actually means that we never stop speaking it. 
that it should always be in our mouth, that it should always be a part of our conversation. You know, you don't have to quote chapter and verse to quote the word. You don't have to look at somebody and says, you know, it says in the book of 1 Zephaniah 32, 4, that this is... You talk to anybody like that? It's like everything. It's like, it's cool for a while, but it's like, gosh, man, like back off the throttle and talk like this stuff actually works in your life. And it's not just something you read about, right? There's a certain contact point where this stops being something that I read about to something that I do with my life. And this stuff actually works. So when somebody's telling me, I'm not good enough, man. I'm not good enough for heaven. I'm looking at him going, but you know that God loved you so much. Like that if you were the only one, he would have sent his son for you. Because he didn't will for you to die and go to hell, live separated from him. But he actually desired that you would live and that it would go on to even being an abundant life. Like what is that? That sounds a lot like John 3.16, doesn't it? See, because when it becomes natural to you, the understanding that what Jesus did for us isn't something we read about. It's something that comes on us. That's something that covers us by the blood of Jesus and that we can walk in it. My gosh, the reality of that carries the weight that when we speak it to other people, that the Bible talks about an anointing that breaks every yoke. You know what that, what that anointing actually speaks of, like a yoke is like with yoke and oxen, like back in the day. So when the Bible talked about not being unequally yoked, it's because every yoke was custom made to those oxen, right? And so if you had one and you tried to put one that was unequal with the other one, so you had like a big bull, you know, like a big oxen, and then you had this little runny one and you put him over there. And what would happen is that the yoke would actually break, the other circumstance is, is that when the bull grew, if they didn't continue to change out the yokes and they had this bull that was maturing and growing, it would actually become too big and it would burst out of the yoke. So when the Bible talks about an anointing that breaks every yoke, what it's actually talking about is us growing in maturity in the presence and anointing of God on our lives until we become too big for this heavy thing that's been on us and we literally cast it off because we're too big for it to contain us. Does that make sense? So if you're asking God for an anointing that breaks every yoke, you've got to get ready to grow. You've got to study. You've got to be in his word. You've got to be quoting that word. And if we could do that, we can accomplish anything. So the Monday morning application of all this is what do we meditate on? This is my last point, I promise. Are you ready for this? There's actually a subheading in most translations that actually says meditate on these things. Okay, you ready? All right, here it is. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It says, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, worthy of respect, what is right and confirmed by God's word, what is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is anything that is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things, center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in daily life. And the God who is the source of peace and well-being will be with you. So if we train our minds on these things, and I'm a little over my time. I didn't realize how long I had already went. So I was going to take you through some of these words, but I, I would challenge you, look these words up. Okay? Find out what they mean for yourself. What is true? God's word is true. The word says, let every man be a liar, but let God be true, right? And so the truth of what God says supersedes anything that man could say. And so if you're unhappy with a circumstance and you feel like there's a lack of truth, you begin to put your mind on the truth of the situation and speak it until it happens. If it's praiseworthy, what does it mean? It means that it's purely God. The one that I absolutely love is the word virtue because in the old Greek, what it actually talks about is the manifest power of God for miracles. So when Jesus turned around with the woman of the issue of blood and said, what, who touched me? I felt virtue leave me. And the Bible says that we should meditate on virtue. What we're literally meditating on over and over and over again in a situation that we're uncomfortable with is the miracle working power of God to accomplish what he said he would do in your life. 
Train your mind on these things. Meditate on these things. And in that, the God of all peace will be with us. Man. So listen. Where do you go from here? Probably to the Golden Corral. (laughs) But first, it would be really good if you evaluated your refrigerator. What's in there? What do you need? What shouldn't be there? What are the symptoms? Can you find anything in there that God's calling you to grab and hurl as far away from you as you can get it and to pick up something different? If you've never accepted Jesus, if you're not sure of your eternity or where you're going to be, if you wouldn't know, if you died right now, where you would go, don't walk out of here without making that assurity. I don't know how you walk through life without the peace of God. But you have an opportunity to do that today. He's a good God. He's never taken anything away from me that he hasn't replaced with better. And praise God for that. But the prayer partners are coming forward right now. If, if you would be so kind as to just bow your head and close your eyes and, and just give me two more minutes. What I'd like to say is this. If, if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior and you'd like to make that decision today, we've talked about it twice today. It's a simple thing, but we'd love to pray with you. Why don't you come to the altar this morning? There are people down here that would love to pray with you, lead you into that, give you a gift that would help you set onto the right track to walk this journey out the right way. If this message has touched you in any other way, whether it's been sleepless nights or, or chaotic thoughts or, or, or just going through life angry and not knowing or understanding why, it's time to grab those thoughts, those mindsets and hurl them away. If you've got some mindsets in your life today that you know God is telling you to put aside, to put off, I challenge you today, come to the altar and let's pray together. God is a good God and he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our lives lived for him in a way that exemplifies who he is in it. If any of those things are you, you today, I'd, I'd say the altar is open. Feel free to make your way down. For everybody else, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you are for us and not against us. And if you're for us, what can be against us? Father, I thank you that no weapon formed against these people can prosper. I thank you that they are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I thank you that they live a life over and above victorious. And Father, most of all, I ask that you would give us the clarity of mind and heart to understand and discern the enemy's thoughts and intentions for us and that we would not only take them captive, but God, that we would cast them aside and take on your character. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are, for what you are, and all that you've done and are doing, we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, we love you. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, get signed up out there. We have purpose development classes right after service here. Make sure you make yourself available to that. If you haven't done it, lunch, childcare, everything, no excuses. Get downstairs, be a part of it. I'm sure you'll truly enjoy it. Until next week, we'll see you then. We love you.